Three mates, three headlines, what's next? Gentlemen, welcome to episode eight. Uh, we are in the midst of lockdown 3.0. I am back down south. I have left the north. I hope you two have had a slightly better week. Nothing to report. Lockdown 3.0 in full swing. To be honest, my week's improved since you left, Andy. Understandable. Cheers, Jimmy. Tennis? No, nothing to report. Quiet weekend, as I say, lockdown 3.0. So, quiet weekend in the house. Well, shall we have a very quick recap of the week and the headlines before we move on to the main body of today's episode? COVID through the football pyramid, de-glamorising the FA Cup. Klopp moans about player welfare once again and then plays Mane, Salah, Milner, Genie, Henderson, Firmino and the Ox against a team of under-16s. Mark Wright puts in a claim to become the first reality star to win the Ballon d'Or by completing one successful pass from one attempted for Crawley as they turned over Leeds. Celtic bring back COVID from Dubai, just as Sturgeon warned. There's still 22 points adrift of the Jers. Australia and India fight out a draw. Smith scuffs up the wicket to find himself at the centre of a media storm again, whilst Tim Payne leaves from the front to tell Ravi Ashwin all his teammates think he's a dickhead. Joe Root scored some runs in the warm-up game, but still can't reach three figures, whilst Anderson misses out on a hat-trick against his own teammates. In rugby, the Falcons win again, as Exeter lose again. Bristol go top. Trump's course won't host the 2022 PGA Championship. Harris English wins in Hawaii and Justin Thomas apologised for using a homophobic slur when he'd missed a putt. Any of those worth touching on quickly, gentlemen? What did Justin Thomas say? He made a homophobic slur, Jimmy, when he missed the putt. Do you not want to repeat this? To be honest, I actually don't know what he said. Um, I just saw the headlines. Um, But obviously, I wouldn't be wanting to give that any more airtime than it deserves. There's no place for homophobia. I'm sure Tim Payne would... uh probably disagree with that sort of sentiment. He looks like the type of bloke who would just say the first thing that comes to his head. A bit like myself, in all honesty. Not a homophobe. Do you think uh, Do you think Ashwin is liked by many of his, his teammates or not? I mean, in the footage, he turned away very quickly. He took offence, so it hit a nerve, that's for sure. Um, it's an odd thing to bring up. If, it's an odd thing to lie about. It's obviously something known, isn't it? I don't think many people like him in general, but your own teammates pretty pretty dire if they don't like you. Maybe man cards them in the net. Yeah. Might do. Might do. Not a lot of time for the man card personally. I think it needs to come back. Yeah, I agree. I think it should come back. It should be a recognised form of dismissal. The only other nice little bit of shit house uh... to start your Saturday. And if someone man cards me, I'm not gonna exactly go and throw a kit around. You're just gonna sit in the bar and say, Yeah, he's done me. It is and a trap. I know the rules. I should be quicker on that. Fair play to him. It's like the fly slip. <laughs> a legitimate trap in cricket. <laughs> no, it's there. It's always an option. But if that's how you get out, then that's how you get out. The only other one I'd touch on is the, the Jimmy Anderson one. Imagine facing him in the next, doing your left, right and centre and then having to face him in the middle and then he ruins your test uh, hopes by getting you on a hot wreck ball and having to go out and face him. I don't think I could. I don't think I'd fancy facing anyone less, to be fair, after facing the Nets for however many weeks that'll be afterwards. I just hope that the hat-trick ball was a massive LBW appeal and one of the physios gave it not out who was umpiring. 
Because <laughs> the physios, I bet they got some absolute shit stood there, or whoever was doing it. I bet they got so much stick by all the lads for just dire decisions. Uh, I thought you might have touched on the Klopp headline, Tinnis, the Liverpool claim, because you're a massive fan of those boys, but player welfare? Yeah, had this discussion with someone at work. Um, I think it was more of a, we can't score to save our lives, let's go and bully the kids, because I honestly don't, didn't think they knew how to score the last three games. So I think he basically said, go and get your shooting boots back on, and then they went 1-1, one, 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 and it was a bit worrying, to be fair. Um I think he probably's had the chance just to really prove a point and play all of our kids as well when he didn't. So, um, Do you think it was think he... uh, Well, I'm not probably not, but at the same time, what if they're not scoring? At least he's made them go out and score. But I, I think he should have just played most of our kids as well. To be totally honest, because he doesn't care about the cup. He never gets that far in it anyway. So I don't know why he was so bothered to play all the big, all the big names. He's not won the um, and I just wonder if maybe seeing people like Jose Mourinho take it a bit more seriously. Obviously, Guardiola's Man City have been to the last four League Cup finals. I don't he just, think he cares about it though. I just don't think he's bothered in the slightest about it. So I, I think, think he's that's a why... winner. I think he probably does care. The only thing I thought okay. is because it was quite a late announcement by Villa is a manager like Klopp would have gone through the whole week of training, working with his team, and how he wants him to play. That he's probably thought. Fuck it, I'm just going to throw it out there. Or he did what I did and was hoping something like Steve Bruce might do, where he turns around and says, we've got COVID, I can't feel the full-strength team, and I hope he puts his reserves out. And then he's got Grealish, Barkley, Watkins, <laughs> all on the pitch. Against our kids. Oh, well. No, I, I, he might... See, I just, from what he's done in the past few seasons, I don't think he's overly fussed about it. But maybe you're right, maybe he's thought, maybe I need to win this one now I've won the Premier League and maybe take it slightly more seriously, but... The only yeah. saving grace I would give him is that they've obviously got the Man U game coming up. He maybe wanted to make sure some of those guys were continuing to be match fit, etc. But considering how much he does give it about player welfare, the need for a break, more subs, etc., etc., I don't think he helps himself on occasion by playing literally an under-16 team with all of those names that we mentioned above. But it is what it is. They're obviously through. They're into the next round, which is far more than can be said for Steve Bruce and his team. So the less said, the better. And the quicker we move on, the better. Uh, we are changing tact a little bit this week and we are moving away just for the one week from our three headlines to dissect. That is purely because what we have to say is quite possibly the most important hour of conversation I have had for a very, very long time. And we feel it deserves to be aired in full. This week's headline act is host of the Footballers Mindset podcast and performance coach to many of football's most recognised names. He himself is known as Rob Blackburn. We were so delighted that Rob agreed to talk to us, especially in January, and especially considering the environment so many of us find ourselves in right now in the midst of lockdown 3.0. Personally, I learned a hell of a lot, and I was delighted to allow Rob the opportunity to just talk, as I felt as though everything he was saying resonated with me in some capacity. Many of his phrases or mindset tricks that he mentioned, I am actively trying to take forward. I don't want to delay too much and I want to allow the podcast the full airing it deserves. So without further ado, what's next sports podcast featuring headline act Rob Blackburn. Three mates, three headlines. What's next? Once again, this week, I've taken my headline from Sky Sports. Football's mental health epidemic big problem nobody is talking about. 
Whilst this isn't a topic that should only be discussed when fitting, and whilst mental health is something that affects everyone, not just elite footballers, any opportunity to have an open discussion about the topic is a worthwhile conversation. To help discuss the topic and provide some wider context, we've reached out to the man at the very centre of the Sky Sports article and a field expert on the topic. A former Chelsea youth goalkeeper and now host of the Footballers Mindset podcast, someone continuously trying to make a difference to help support the mental health crisis in football. We're delighted to be joined by another headline act. Rob Blackburn, thanks so much for your time. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, not too bad, apart from being back down in lockdown, like the uncertainty again. The what constant... does lockdown look like for you? How does uh, how do you go about your day, your week, your however long? So it, it, it really depends. So I live in like London and my partner lives in Liverpool. So I come up not that long ago to Liverpool. So you're trying to create as much structure as you can, really. And then yesterday, obviously, got hit with a bombshell news that like I've got a stepson he's off sc- he's off school again so it's just constantly trying to adapt to the situation then I'm back I know you, you shouldn't be but I'm going back down south <laughs> tomorrow so I'm having a Covid test this afternoon to go back down south because I'm um, going to the well I'll be at the Bournemouth v Millwall game so I've been helping Bournemouth Football Club while they've been not they haven't been in lockdown but I've been helping the squad I've been helping the staff and they want me to go to the Millwall game, which is pretty cool. And I've got a call with the whole squad tomorrow, which is it's different because I'm used to working with footballers on an in uh, like a one-to-one basis rather than the whole squad. So it, it is pretty cool, to be fair. But yeah, it's, listen, you deal with it. It's it's not easy, but you roll the punches. I just said to that, I've just been on the phone to someone who's 16 years old who's a footballer. I was like, listen, the only thing in life that you can be certain of is constant uncertainty. Just the way it is. Have you had people reach out almost since eight o'clock last night when the Prime Minister made his announcement? Does that affect people quite quickly or does it develop over time quite often? No, it depends. For footballers, obviously, the, the elite sports are still in. So this morning's one was a 16-year-old kid who's been struggling. His dad, like who I like do work with, said he was struggling. So he's like, can you help my son because he's struggling with boredom? So it's just, it's just putting, again, I said to him, like, listen, you've got, he's 16 years old. So you change what he thinks is, it was, it was a really quick phone call today. He's, he's in the gym already. He hasn't been to the gym for ages, for ages. And he's already in the gym. Six, as I said, 16 years old. And he was like, I'm bored. I've got no motivation. So I asked the question, what do you want? And he's like, I want, like, I want to go to the gym. I want to do stuff, but I can't. I was like, so I was like, well, you don't get an opportunity. So I, I reframe this as an opportunity so what this is an opportunity to basically work on your weaknesses physically mentally and you're never going to have this opportunity again and he's like i've never thought of it like that then the next thing you know he's sending me in his goals (laughs) what he wants to achieve he's going to send well waiting for him to send a picture of in the gym so going from completely unmotivated so a 15-minute phone call sparked something in him and his dad messaged me, said he's emotional when he feels like crying already. Like, just from one conversation. So that's the first one I've had, by the way. <laughs> that, I think everyone's in the same situation where they're trying to figure out what the what the hell's getting. Am I allowed to swear in this or not? However you feel, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it unexplicit? <laughs> no, yeah, no, we've got the little E stamp next to it. 
Oh, cool. That's all right then. I can I can swear away. That's the same as mine. <laughs> Rob, um, the headline, the piece that you did with Sky Sports, which came out mm-hmm. this a while ago. Um, if we can, to some extent, in as much depth as possible, if it is even yep. something that can be debunked, can we debunk the myth a little bit that footballers have it easy? A lot of people will be of the opinion they're paid X, Y, Z. They go and play a game that many of us pay to play for a living, to enjoy. Mm-hmm. They're adored by thousands, etc. Um, it's not an easy way of life. And it's quite a short career for a lot of these guys. Right. Being a footballer like me is great, right? So a lot of players that I speak to, football is great. But like, you can't have one without the other. You get admiration, right? So you're constantly admired. But on the other side, you're constantly criticised, right? You have to think, like, as I said in, in the article, footballers kind of live their life backwards. So at 18 years old, they've, they're starting off with a lot of money. They earn a lot of money young. But as they get older, everything decreases. You're in constant uncertainty because, especially if you're playing at lower leagues, you're constantly moving house, constantly moving clubs. You don't know where your next contract's coming from. Like when most people... Like they've had a bad day at work. They go and have a bit of alcohol or go to the pub. Well, not now, but beforehand, they went to the pub, could go for a drink, de-stressed. You, if you go down the pub, you're more than likely going to get abused by someone who's pissed off that you've ruined their Saturday. And it's always good to start an argument with a footballer to make them buy. And then next thing you know, like, for example, you have a bad day at work, right? So Andrew, you've had a bad day at, at, at PE. You don't get, <laughs> yeah. like, you don't get constant Twitter messages telling you to go kill yourself or jump off a bridge. You're a useless sack of shit. You're this. You're that. You're that. You're you. You normally just get on with it. People don't notice if you've had a bad day at work. Whereas in thousands of people know you've had a bad day at work, and they're blaming you for it, and then they decide to have a go at you, take it out on you. Like I, I was in a, one time I was on, I was in Marbella. I was um, Ocean Club having a little bit of wine, chilling. And I had a, like a phone call from one of the players. who's like, I'm getting abused on Twitter. I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. Like it's, I'm really struggling to cope. And you're like, like that is not, it so- sounds great. Cause you just see the perception of playing football, living the dream, well, your perception is living the dream. Some players don't even like football. <laughs> That's the truth of it. Was it Asu, Asu Okota who said that? He said, I, I only play it because I'm good at it. I get paid a fortune. Yeah. 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 Some players, like, they're like, I, I know players that they don't actually like football. They never watch football on TV. <laughs> they play football. They train. But some play. it's like your, your job. It's your job. Mm-hmm. Football is, what people don't realise is, for them, it's their passion. For supporters, it's their passion, but for a football player, it's their job. We had a dis- and a stressful job where you're under constant pressure to perform day in, day out. We had a discussion last week on the podcast about the return of sports in the initial lockdown, as much as we just said we've gone into 3.0 or whatever it is now, in the middle of mm-hmm. lockdown one, um, and the use of bubbles focusing on how it was heralded by the government and the public all together as a saviour for public morale at that time was something to watch regularly the 2019-20 football season the staggered games everything was televised you could see your team you could see any other team in hindsight and possibly from what you know following discussions with various respective players 
was that wise for players? Was that healthy for them to put them on such a pedestal and expect so much from them? And was it fair to place such a responsibility on those players to brave it out for our own enjoyment? Yeah, we have to think at the start, we didn't know what we were dealing with. So there was a lot of uncertainty. We didn't know we didn't know what the disease was. And for example, like Troy Deeney come out and spoke out about it and the the dangers. But I think as you've become we've become more aware, like it's it's not as bad. So one of my one of my friends, his name's John Massinio, he's a PFA, like he's one of the heads of the PFA, plays for Oxford. And he had a radio interview the other day and he said exactly the same thing. Like at the start, people were worried, but as we knew more about it and as the testing, like the testing come in as well, like you realise it's actually quite a safe environment. It's not like, for example, as I said, I've got to go to Bournemouth tomorrow for the FA Cup game on Saturday. I've got to go down to have They've had a COVID test today. I've got to have a, a COVID test on Thursday. And you know that everyone is pretty much safe and you're in that you're in a certain bubble obviously you've got a mix with family and friends but at the end of the day it's their jobs if they're they're sitting at they're sitting at home like the, the problems with a lot of players is so they go to work at 10 o'clock in the morning they're finished by one they've got nothing to do what do you do for the rest of the day yeah like, what do you do for the rest of the day? Like, for example, we're in lockdown and we're struggling, but that is that is basically their life. Half their life is rest and recovery. If they haven't got football, a lot of the time, they haven't really got anything. So it's, it's, it's hard to get the right balance. Do you think... I, I have an opinion of this that I'm happy to voice, but I want to hear what you think first, if that's right. Um, do you think mm-hmm. it's fair that the players who have been involved over the new year, um, the Spurs players, the London-based players that have been involved in the parties and the gatherings, etc. between them. Is it fair that they should be lambasted for doing so when, as you say, we have been expected to sit in and we have been expected to not see families or sisters or grandparents, etc.? Is it is it fair? Is it fair that they... Should, should they be guessing... Is, is the criticism there... Is... Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course it is. Like you can't say it's not fair if you're gonna listen. Do, do you blame, think most... blame them for what they what they did? Do I blame? Do I blame? Them? Great question. I... Right, for say for example, yeah. like they're, they're, like I'm not gonna say any judgment because I haven't been. I don't think anyone's followed the rules to a hundred percent, right? So, like at the moment, my mum's like me on Christmas Day. I, I could be completely honest with it. We were around my brothers. <laughs> we went around my brother's because my mum's this is the story my mum's terminally ill could be potentially our last Christmas so it was like what her immune system's down the risks are this so we had a decision to make but listen if you're in the public eye any photo you're going to get taken is going to be out there like for me I'm a nobody <laughs> no one cares about me but if you're in a public eye as I said, you're going to get criticised. You're going to get criticised no matter what you do anyway. Is it is it fair that they get criticised? Of course it is. Yeah. What do you think? No, I I agree that they get criticised. As you say, if that was myself that had hosted three or four of my friends around on a Christmas Day party, absolutely no one would find out about it unless I was mm. the one posting the photo and I was putting it over. 
I don't have millions of followers. I don't have thousands of people desperate to see my every move on a Christmas day or whenever, New Year's Eve, whenever it might be. Um, so, yeah, they should be getting the slap on the wrist and told off. They're international footballers. They're away from their families. I know many people who were by themselves on Christmas and New Year, and that must have been an incredibly tough time. So if you've got one or two people, for them, I actually sympathise a little bit with them. The people that they were mixing with were the people they were mixing with in a bubble, probably the next day at training anyway. That mm-hmm. To some extent, I can see their thinking that actually am I doing anything wrong? I've seen them three days leading up to Christmas, trained with them, showered with them, whatever it might be. I can't see them. So I I, I can sympathise with them. I'm not condoning it, etc. But I Mm. think um, I think I can see why they did do it. It's a mad world. Say, for example, I go away. I went to the away game with Bournemouth recently, right? So you're told to social distance. <laughs> you have to wear a mask onto the coach. You go on the coach, you take your mask off, you're all sitting together. And then you have to put your mask on out the coach. And then you're all in a, a small changing room together. <laughs> like, how does that make any any sense at all? Apart from ticking boxes. So you're perceived to do the right thing. When you're in that bubble anyway, you're training with them every day. So you're, you're training constantly, but then you've got to go wear masks around a training ground and then you're in a changing room together. So outside you're wearing a mask, but inside in changing changing rooms, you can take it off. It, but, like it just about, sometimes it baffles me. It, and you have to remember most of them, the footballers, if they're together, they're all COVID, they're all tested. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the, the thing is, again, you're going to, you, you do you want to put yourself in that position to get criticised, to be... Is it worth it? Especially, like, I'm not being funny. You have to use your brain and go, no pictures. <laughs> if you want to be clever about it. But, listen, every like no, no one's been, like, especially in my experience, no one's been perfect. So, it, it's, it's, and especially now in lockdown, things are worse. Like, and you, like, for example, you're putting bubbles. You're in, you're in a certain bubble in a football club. You're not allowed to ch- you're not allowed to change cars or be in cars with anyone else. So they do put like pretty stringent rules in place. Do you know what I mean? So, so whatever you do, as I said, whatever you do, you'll get criticised anyway. You say it is you can save a granny from a burning building, and someone will still say you did it wrong, or you could do that better. So you're gonna get you just got especially as a footballer, you're gonna get criticised. Don't matter. You could have the best game ever, and someone will still think you're shit. <laughs> going into the into the kind of the bubbles in in all elite sport um, we're big fans of cricket we play cricket um, there's quite a lot of franchise and a lot of the international cricketers and franchise cricketers are being put in bubbles in hotels um, mm-hmm. and we kind of had a discussion last week um, of saying how how would that affect people's mental health when they can't even go home to their families? They are in a in a bubble for six to to eight weeks in a competition mm. where they spend it just with those people in their squad, their coaches, and etc. So they've got the friends there, they've got people, but they don't get to go home and get that release. They're either at a hotel on the critic ground, so they literally don't leave that venue, um, and they're just spending the same amount of time with those people. How much? I mean, we've seen a couple of lads, Tom Banton and um, Tom Curran, both pull out of going to Australia because they basically said, I am sick of that. I've spent six months in a bubble. I've hardly played any cricket just because of selections and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't bear to not be home and just have, even though we always had restrictions here, slightly less restrictions then, 
you're not moving from this hotel, what goes on next? We we kind of said, there's no way footballers for a 38 game season or 46 of the championship and lower leagues could be put in that that bubble, which is where the risks were coming. I know we saw Southampton's manager, um, his wife, um, tested positive, meaning that he had to miss the game a couple of weeks ago. And it's just a case of uh, cricketers and other athletes will be doing the same thing. It's that bubble can't be very healthy for people being constantly just you're in a hotel, good luck living in there for, for eight weeks, kind of thing. Yeah, it's so hard. Like, people, but people again, people see that as oh, you're a cricketer, you're playing cricket, you're playing football, but you're at the end of the day, you're a human being, you, you have emotions, you struggle. Like, I didn't see my fiance for in the first lockdown, I think it was 17 weeks. Like, it was, it was killer. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute killer. So, like, being in that football bubble, you have to see, you want to see family members, especially when you're going through a rough time. Like, what makes you feel better is being around people you love. But again, yeah. you're not, you're expected to, because you're a footballer or a cricketer or this, this is just, and then you, you might break the rules once and they're like, well, you're a, is it a COVID idiot or whatever it is? <laughs> I mean, there was, there was, Joffrey Archer broke, broke the bubble when they moved from one hotel to the next hotel. He he went home um, in between tests just, just to see his missus, or that was mm. what it was reported. And he got absolutely slated for it because it was a case of, are you joking? It's this. And it's like, well, actually, they've been in the bubble for eight weeks already and they haven't seen anyone else but the other 20 lads and coaches and the opposition who they're not even allowed to talk to, even though they're playing against. And, I think you're right. I think when footballers, like you say, if it's 10 or 2 or 10 or 1, they go home, they see the family, that keeps them occupied. Some will have young kids, that will also keep them occupied, but it's not going to keep them occupied for kind of the whole season, everything that's going on. People are going to take risks and kind of break bubbles now and again. Obviously, seeing more and more Benjamin Mendy broke it a couple of days ago as well. So it is very difficult. And I imagine it's, it's we find it, we might find it difficult, but we still get to go to work and uh, they're going to work, but just seeing the same people every day must be, must be pretty rough. Yeah. And it depends on, listen, it depends on the team you're in. Are they like some teams, right? Some players don't like their teammates, <laughs> which is the truth, right? Not everyone gets on with their teammates constantly. Like, so sometimes you need to, like, you need that release. Like I, I'm not going to go, Oh, you're a dickhead for doing this or anything. Because, like, listen, I've, I've struggled. I've broke the rules. Like, like I'm sure you have. Like, we, we again, you're human. You're human. You're gonna, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna mess up constantly. I'm not saying that it's right, but again, footballers are human. Cricketers are human. We're all, we're all human. We're gonna, we have needs. So, Rob, you, um, you've talked in your podcast, um. The- Baller's mindset before about various mm-hmm. triggers that some of the players that you've worked with have faced that can set them off. And I think it was a whole play you referenced at one point. Um, something something <laughs> oh, as yeah. simple as seeing someone not pick up their own dog's mess ruin their day completely from the off. That could be first thing in the morning yeah. training. How important is it being able to identify these triggers? And especially at the moment in a lockdown, it's probably quite an easy trigger to identify in itself but something smaller such as dog mess that can ruin a day that can ruin a week that can ruin a training session and potentially a career i guess ultimately if it continues what's the severity of those triggers 
for an individual and how recognize so, one? So it's hard to recognize. It's only because I've been doing it for so long, right? As I said, I started off as a trainer, then did nutrition, and then did line up work for football clubs. And, and the, the more you work with people, you, you listen to language and you figure out what's going wrong. And he's going to love me talking about he Every time I talk about his dog poo story, <laughs> I get a message. And I'm actually getting him on my podcast as well. So I'm going to interview him about it and how he, how it's helped change. But the whole point is, right, is he's a goalkeeper, right? And you're like, so he takes a dog out in the morning like another dog has a shit. And he's like, so that he has a belief, right, which is he should he should pick it up. So that belief, which is not true, by the way, right? So you have to get the whole point of this is you can only deal with reality, not your thoughts about reality, not your perceptions about reality, but the actual reality. So he's like, he should pick it up. So basically, that would eat him up for the whole day and it would piss him off, right? He's a goalkeeper. So you can imagine if, if dog poo triggers him that much, as a goalkeeper making a mistake, how's that going to trigger him? How's that going to affect him? And the whole point is he can't let, like what we found out is he couldn't let mistakes go. So make a mistake in training, it would eat him up. So if something as simple as a dog shitting is affecting his day, like a mistake is going to eat him up. So you're, you're connected. You're kind of connecting the dots. You're like, right. Instead of arguing reality, because that's what we do, right? A lot of the play, a lot of players are, we, we all argue reality constantly. That's what we got to try and understand. So I shouldn't have made a mistake. And it doesn't matter how much you argue with that. You've made a mistake. Like for me as a goalkeeper, right? The ball's gone in. The ball shouldn't have gone in. The ball's already in. It's already 1-0. Doesn't matter what I do. I can't change that. Right? So what we do is like, for example, we got a telly button here. I've got a telly button. I just dropped it. You shouldn't have dropped the telly button. Doesn't matter how much you argue with me, the telly button's dropped. It's done. So him arguing that a dog poo should have been picked up Right, I'm like, you can't affect that. You can only affect your thoughts towards that. That's it. That's the only thing you're in control of. That's so you need to just control that. So, like for example, what we've done was put a process in place where something happened. We put questions in place. First one: Is it true? That's it. Should have picked up the dog poo. Is it true? Yeah, you should have picked up the dog poo. Yeah, you should. it's disgusting. What's the reality of it? Did he pick it up? No. <laughs> right? Well, if it affects you that much, go and pick it up yourself. Go and pick up his dog poo. Or do something. So the whole point is, when he got over that, after he started making mistakes, he just, do you know what happened? There was a breakthrough moment. He made a mistake in training and his coach went, you should have saved that. And he went, ha <laughs> And because his head, he went, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> the ball's in the goal already. So you're 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 talking shit, mate. You're arguing reality. I'm gonna move on. You can let it affect you. It's not gonna affect me. Since that point, right, hasn't been in the team. Hadn't been in the team for two years. Now we starting. Just from a little, a little switch around, just a little like question it. As I said, like most players argue reality. Most players constantly argue reality. They they. Don't make a mistake. They make a mistake. They think they shouldn't make a mistake. Then they think about the mistake. They overthink it. That it it gets blown up rather than right trigger trigger behavior. So like for example, what little things can we put in place? So little 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 bits. So for example, it'd be like 
right, you've made a mistake. You're getting over, you're getting flustered. You've missed a couple of chances. Say, for example, we go anchor yourself and then remember to win. And they're like, what do you mean win? Well, I can win now. Like, what's important now? What's important now? After this, so you, what's important now? Important now is to get my next shot on target. That's what's important now. So you're, you're bringing yourself back to the present constantly. Because we're either normally, we're thinking about what's happened and what's gone wrong, or we're overthinking into the future. So most of the time, I'm just trying to keep the players as present as possible. A lot of the players that you've worked with, Rob, are they intrinsically motivated or are they extrinsically motivated? Is it the self-satisfaction of a great save, a wonder goal, a winner in a local derby, or is it the trophy, the money, the plea manager? Um, I've, I've never had anyone who's been extrinsically motivated. Why do you think that is? No one. Do you know what? I think it, a lot of the time it's older players getting to the end of their career. So they're getting a little bit older. They're not... It's a, trophies will come, but they realise... I think most people realise they're not in control of that. That's not in their control. They can only control what they do. And as soon as we start, I start with them, I'm like, right, what can you control? You can't control if you're in the team or not. You can't control if you win a trophy. You can't control if you go up. You can only control what you can do. Uh, but I think they've gone through the players that come to me. They've, they've already heard my stuff. So they've heard my podcast. They might have listened to my audio book. So I already relate to them. So they get what I'm talking about. So I haven't just had someone randomly come to me. They've already listened to my stuff. So they get me. They like, my people were like, why do you swear on a podcast? It's not professional. I'm like, well, players swear. <laughs> like if I go the professional route and they're not going to get me, they're not going to get me. So now most of the time, yeah, most players are, are very intrinsically motivated. They want to play as far as long as they can be the best they can, do the best that they can do. And, and, and literally, if you think about they're trying to just win their next contract. They're trying to get the next contract. That's basically they're concentrating on. It's the next contract. So they, people don't realise, depending what level you're at, if you go from the Premier League, championship, even championship, right? Some, some the, the pay like, is good. You get to League One, like, you're in... People, you're in so much uncertainty, depending on what level you're at. I think um, one of the... I think as you go up the levels, you'll be more... Like, for example, Ronaldo. Let's take Ronaldo. He, he's both. He's motivated intrinsically to be the best he can possibly be and be the best in the world. But then he wants the trophies to prove it. Gives him justification for what he's done. I've heard a load of stories about Ronaldo on the training ground. Who, When he comes to Man United, he was the weakest header of the ball. But he literally worked on it day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And he, he convinced himself he was going to be the best in the world. That geezer <laughs> is amazing. Just saying. I think um, <laughs> as someone who's completely removed from professional football and is a, a fan and unfortunately has a season ticket at St. James's Park up in the North East, so I have to put up with watching them uh, when you're allowed in the grounds. One of the things I find is um, almost how and this may not be fair at all, how unrelatable footballers are to until they are out of professional sport. And by that, what I mean is using a few well-known examples of Gaza, Paul Merson, Ray Parler, Tony Adams, who come out once their playing career is finished and they talk about some of their own struggles 
some of their own addictions that they battled through their playing time, had they come forward with them while they were playing, those guys were heroes anyway. They were consummate professionals. They were adored by the fans that they played for. But people relate to them so much more after they're playing because they are everyday struggles for a lot of people. Is there a stigma in professional football amongst the players, amongst clubs, amongst staff, etc., that these players don't feel like they can come out and say that until they're actually removed themselves from the sport? Mm, so I think things okay. are changing now. Like, thing, things are changing. That's why I decided to do the podcast because I, I had, as I said, I was talking to professional footballers. Some of them were suicidal, but biggest alpha males you've ever seen in your life. Complete mask on. So it's it, it starting to change, which which is good, but football's still well behind. <laughs> because every other sport. So like, for example, I think rugby is further ahead. Cricket's further ahead. Like, for example, you must have mm-hmm. watched the tests on Amazon Prime. Loved yeah. it. And I've got, I've got footballers to watch it, right? Because I'm like, listen to the way they communicate with each other. Like, football's not like that. It's the egos. It's bantering people off. It's not being honest in a group, which I'm trying to make footballers become or it's in self-awareness. Like, the bit where, is it, what's his name? Langer. Justin. Langer, his, head coach. I don't, Langer, yeah. And he did a meeting and he kind of, and he was like, how do you think I did there to get feedback? Like, that, that's that amazing. accountability footballers... not exist in football changing rooms and dressing rooms where players can be honest with their feedback or is there a, is there more of a blame culture there? No. no. <laughs> I can't speak for every every changing room so from the players that I know. There's a couple of clubs, right? There's a couple of clubs that are, they can be honest, they do different stuff. So like, for example, Wickham Wanderers. That's how they're so strong. They've got the weakest budget. They had the weakest bu- budget in League One. Right, and now they've got the weakest budget in the chat in the championship. They got promoted, so they it's because their team spirit's so strong, right? And it, it comes from the manager. It comes from the manager, like, and it comes from listen. What can we do? We might not have the best talent, but how can we create the best team spirit? Where we're all mates and we can be completely honest and open with each other. And then they do stuff like, for example, they learn the hacker together. They do the hacker. They bring someone in to learn them the hacker, and then. Last, like the other weekday, I can't talk about what they did, but they did something else where most football clubs are not are not like that. It's just it's the it's the ego ego driven. Like and it's like hold it, you got young lads. Which do you know what? When I was younger, it'd be the same thing. Why do I need to do? I'm going to talk about my feelings. Like, well, don't talk about your feelings, you pussy. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Your but. I think it's until you get older, you realise like the mistakes you made. So again, it's football, 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 football. Talk about like as you did as you were like young lads. Ben Chilwell came out recently. Like, he said got... he'd suffered uh, his mental health wasn't in a particularly great place. Um, do the PFA have things in place? I know you just said they're miles behind, but often I find you only hear of mental health when it is with negative connotations and presumably potentially asking a very naive question. Mental health is like physical health where you can have someone who's in peak mental condition, peak physical condition, weak mental health, weak physical condition. But you don't often hear of someone who is 
has great mental health, has great mental strength, whatever it might be, until it's negative. And does yeah, that need yeah. to change globally, not just within professional football? And is that something that a PFA, a club, a player themselves, managers, etc., can take responsibility for almost? But for example, you don't, how do you know if someone's in peak physical health? No one really talks about it. It's the same, the opposite way around, right? And obviously the negative is always stronger than the positive, always. And the news story is if someone's struggling, that's going to be, that's going to be big news. So the other PFA doing enough, in my opinion, no. Can they do better? Yeah. Which they're trying to do to be fair to them. So I know people have been to like, so they have counselors in the, in the PFA, but the problem is like the people you use, like they don't get players because I've been in that football environment and stuff and I speak footballers language. I kind of, I get them. I, I can, I get them. If you've got someone who's never been in football, you're sending someone extrinsically. You have to think of it this way, right? So footballers constant, well, we're all constantly judged, right? But they're, they're constantly judged. They're judged by the manager. They're constantly judged by the fans. So they're constantly judged. So the last thing they want to be doing is when they go in to see someone, they're like, I'm not feeling good. So they get to sit send to someone to sit in a room who's got a notebook, sitting down, writing questions down. They're, so they're being judged again. They're like, this is not for me. So it's like, okay, what can you do? Question is, what can you do differently? That's why I do the Zoom calls with footballers. So I put, you give them a support network to know that, listen, that everyone is in the same position as you. Like, whereas in, if they're just in a one-on-one, it's different. Like I like to give, I think you can give people support. So football needs to step up, needs to step up massively. And you're right about, like, for example, and I, I say that as soon as we start off with the fingers, I'm like, listen, you go and work hard and you go to the gym, right, to work your muscles to get guns <laughs> like these bad boys. <laughs> but, but you need to go to the mind gym. How often are you going to take a visit to the mind gym? Question, what are you doing? So you have your physical health, all right? And then you have your mental health. Your mental health, like, the brain controls everything. So how are you training your brain and what are you doing? Ah, oh, not much. Like, what are you doing? Just scrolling social media. Or are you just scrolling because social media constantly can, like, looking for... So footballers go on Twitter and put their name in and they're looking for the negative comments. That's not good for you. <laughs> like, that's that's terrible. But social media, that, like, it's just... There needs to be... The awareness is coming out, right? So the awareness is getting better and better and there's programs on it and like things like that interview that I did or a couple of coaches that I know are getting more publicity which is great so so the whole point is you get people talking that's why I did the podcast I was like right it's all happening in the background if I get players on the podcast talking about it people will realize that they're human they're just people with emotions they just play it they just play a game (laughs) that's all they do it's just their job their job is to be constantly judged. So, like, listen, killing them by abusing them. Listen, we do, we all do it, right? I'm a Man United supporter, and they've gone through some shitty times. And yeah, 
he's shit, he's this. <laughs> I would never put it on, but most people put it on. They, they go and, because they're so accessible, like you say, like, did you say, like, they're not, you said they're not relatable to normal people. And you have to remember that if you come out and you talk about your emotions, people perceive you as weak. Oh, you're so weak. Like, what, what do you do? Like, as I said, you're never going to win. You come out and people, like footballers, like cr- like some of them cry and they're like, oh, they, he's weak. That's the perception. He's weak. Right? For example, I talk about my vulnerability. My, my biggest weakness was not being able to be vulnerable. Now it's one of my biggest strengths where I can talk about this, the stuff that I'm going through or things that have happened to me. But if you're a footballer and you come out with that, it's seen as, as weak. And again, that's just because we've been so ingrained to think that being vulnerable is not good when the reality is it is good and it, and it helps you. And, and then, as I said, as a footballer, you can you, you're never going to win because the fans will see it one way. Someone, a footballer come out and be emotional in an interview and then you'll go, well, he's not strong. Players are scared. They're scared because if they do say they've got mental health, not that's the thing, it's the mental health problem. As soon as you say mental health, there's people attached to meaning that you're mentally weak. So if you had a little niggly, niggly injury, right? People go, oh, you'll be able to play. You'll be able to play for it. Don't be fine. If you go to the manager and say, not feeling great, things at home, they go, oh, he's not in the right state to play. He's, he's not in the right state to play. But the truth is, football is there. Like, when you're in football, the problems go away a lot of the time because you're on the pitch. You're not thinking. That's their... Yeah, exactly. Because you're focused on football and everyday life kind of goes away. But they don't see it like that. They're like, oh, you're not in a fit state to play. So you, you, it comes through fear. Football, you have to think, a lot of the time, football is fear. Constant fear. Fear of making a mistake. Fear of not playing, fear of not getting a contract, fear of getting criticised, fear, 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 fear. On that, and that's going to sound so planned, but in one of your um, podcasts, you use the phrase, fear is just thinking. And you've mentioned fear a couple of times. Like, what, mm-hmm. what does fear is just thinking mean? And how can that fear of not getting a contract, fear of not getting picked, fear of missing the penalty, fear of whatever it may be, how can that be turned into a positive mindset along the lines of fear is just thinking. So when I say fear is just thinking, well, I don't even know what I say after time because <laughs> I'm literally just spitting. <laughs> I'm just coming out with stuff. But fear is, you have to think, if you're, if you're thinking ahead into the future, right, that's, that's fear, right? If you're thinking into the past, like we get, we get emotions like guilt, shame, depression. If we're going into the future, we're getting anxiety so for example if you're constant if you're present right now doing something this is why i like doing something like swift bike races because i'm i'm in i'm in i'm completely present i'm in the zone or whatever and i'm not thinking as soon as i'm thinking like you're worrying about what if this goes wrong what if this happens what if this happens so you're, you're future thinking you're not coming back to the present so like if you think about it, the, the only real negative emotion you can have in the present moment is boredom. In the present moment, if you're 
completely immersed in what you're doing, the only thing you can have is boredom if you're thinking into the future. So again, it's asking the right questions, right? This is going to happen. If I, I'm not going to get a contract. Well, is that true? Just ask a question. Is it actually true? Do you know that for a fact? No. So it's not true, is it? Come back. Right? I'm not going to get picked at the week. Is that true? Have you been told? Here's one that I get all the time. The manager doesn't like me. The manager doesn't like me. He hates he hates my guts. How do you know that? Well, he looked at me funny. Okay. So how do you know that that's uh, how do you know that means this? How how do you know that means he doesn't like you? So for example, I had a player. Manager looked at him. So he went. Manager doesn't like me. So guess what? He didn't train properly. Didn't train properly. Found himself out of the team. And he's like, see, I told you the manager didn't like me. I'm like, that's just your perception. The manager doesn't like you. Again, is it true? <laughs> well, yeah. How do you know? Because he looked at me funny. Is that enough evidence? So if you went to court right now with like all your evidence and you put it in front of a judge, what would he say? Would he throw you out of court? Probably. <laughs> Why? Because you haven't got any evidence at all, have you? No. So let, let's go back tomorrow. Let's change that and go, the manager does like me. Go with that belief instead and go and train. So he trained and then he played really, really well, trained really well. And the manager went, that's why we signed you because you're a leader. I was like, let's turn that thought around. The manager doesn't like you. The reality is you don't like the manager, not the way around. So we're trying to, it's all about perceptions, right? The whole world is about perceptions. So we're trying to change perceptions and bring things back because your brain wants to, your brain goes to worst case scenario. The brain goes to like, as I always say, you have 55,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Three quarters of them are negative because the brain's trying to keep you safe. So you're going into negative. You can't, you can't. And, and the thing is like, you can't affect your thoughts. You're, you're not in control of them. They just pop up like this. 55 thoughts a minute approximately, which frequency are negative, but you have to go, okay, you've had a negative thought. Is it true? And the, and if you're thinking into the future, it's never true because it hasn't happened. Right. So, so you're, again, it, it, it's bringing it back, going, what's your perception of this event? How does that make you feel? If you go that to work, if you go to worst, worst connect scenario, what's the worst that can happen? And then you go, that's just a story. It's a story. It's a story you're telling yourself. You've created emotion around your story. Let's bring it back to the actual reality of it again. Let's bring it back to actually what's happening right here, right now. Is it true? No. <laughs> any, think of anything, any negative thought. Like, for example, you've if you had a, like a negative thought. What's a negative thought you've had recently? I'm going to ask. I, I, I think, well, I'll go live almost to some extent we're just talking about the restrictions that have been put in place i think at some point within the next couple of days i'll be put back on furlough um and almost where does that leave me type thing is furlough and i'll be completely honest in my mindset i think furlough is one step away from being made redundant and therefore what do i do with my career where's my job go do i need to start looking at jobs do i need to and it, strangely listening to you say is it true does that mean 
you're going to be made redundant. Does that mean I need to be looking for jobs? Does that mean in September I could be in a different school? Um, already a completely different way of thinking about so say, it. That I... So already you've told yourself a story which makes you feel nervous. Again, fear comes into play and you're like, well, that, that means I'm going to get redundant, which means I've got to look for jobs. Oh my God, I can't look for jobs. Oh my God, oh my God. I'm going to be made redundant. Is it actually going to no. be made redundant? No. <laughs> Yeah. So is it true? Like, rather than going, you've gone into this big story, which you've... How long have you been thinking about uh, that for? Since first lockdown, when I was put on furlough, and then I've been back in at work, and I'm sort of speculating again to myself. So, so again, since the first... first of Like, since March, mm-hmm. you've been experiencing anxiety. Because you've had a thought, which you keep on thinking furlough is going to come, etc. And it hasn't. So from March, April, May, June, July, how many months you've been experiencing anxiety for? Just because you haven't asked the question, you haven't questioned the thought, you've just you've just gone away with it, run away with it, and and it's taken up all your energy and all your mental space constantly, and that's all it consumes you. Rather than bringing it back and going, fucking, I'm full of shit, aren't I? Really? <laughs> I uh... like we all are. It's really hard to get your head around it. Simple process, but the brain wants to... Remember, the brain wants to keep you safe. You want to stay safe. Like, it's the same experience. Your brain doesn't know what's real, what's not real. We watch a we watch a scary film in a cinema. Our hearts are pumping, we're sweating, but we're completely safe. The brain doesn't know that. Consciously, you know that, but the unconscious mind is a lot bigger than the conscious mind. And it takes over. I find over. it fascinating. I... I... I recently took part in November and I had the silly handlebars going for the month long and that's become such a global event and it raises awareness. It's had such good... <laughs> I can see it. Good. I quite like them. <laughs> I them, but I thought they were good. And of course, they're for a, a good cause and raising awareness. And it's all about mental health and raising that awareness to reduce suicide rates in males especially. And I made a post at the end of the month once I'd finished growing the moustache and I was running every day to challenge myself physically um and my post is effectively that Mm -hmm. once the mustaches have gone the conversations can't stop that they have to keep going it can't just be waiting until next november for those conversations to start again to be a point of contact to support one another as males as a population in general what advice would you give to us as young males to anyone who may be listening to keep those conversations going whether they're suffering or whether to looking to help one another Drop your ego. Drop your ego. No one cares yeah. as much as you think they do. No one gives a shit. <laughs> Which is the truth. People are just there to help you. Like, if you want to have a conversation, go and have it. People want to help you. Here's the, here's the deal, right? Most people have got shit going on in their lives. When you talk about someone else's problem, it makes you feel better. Because you're, first of all, putting your problem off. Second of all, you're doing good and it makes you feel good. And the, the, again, it comes down to fear. Fear is going to get you. Fear will get you because you're not willing to talk. So you're like, I need to talk to someone about it. But And then you go into future thinking. What if they think this? What if they think I'm weak? What if they tell someone else? And then the stories start and then you go, uh, nah, I'll stay where I am. Staying where I am is safer than putting myself out there. It's It's 
going if you're the whole point is if you're experiencing some sort of anxiety or some sort of problem it means normally there's an action you need to take and that action is sometimes talking to someone addressing a problem with someone but you're not doing it so it's like listen be willing to have the conversation because do you know what most people do in my experience fuck me i was thinking like that as well <laughs> i'm glad someone said something because i've been really struggling just not but we what we do is like we just sit there and go oh, i'll keep it to myself right i don't want to i don't want and then you tell the story that you don't want to burden people with your problems I don't want to listen. I don't want to burden anyone with my problems. They've got enough shit going on. So, do you know what I do? I keep quiet. When in reality, is they want you to, they want you to talk about their problems. It, it's as I said, I had two players, right, and they talked to each other. Two best mates. One professional footballer struggling really badly. He was best mates with another professional footballer who played for another club. They live three miles down the road from each other. Talked to each other every day. None of them knew they both were struggling. They only found out by one of them coming to my podcast and then the other one reached out to me. That's madness. Madness. But it's because they were, weren't willing to have the conversations. So do you know what? And his name's Carl. Do you know what he did? Instead of talking before games in the evening, drinking alcohol, drinking vodka, sedating. So self-pacifying. So if you're self-pacifying in any way, which is drinking, smoking, gambling like yourself pacifying to make yourself feel better so it's like okay what can you do you need to talk to someone you need help one of the one of the reasons we one of the reasons we started this really we 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 had about five or six conversations before we started recording any of these and it was basically when we were in the lockdown obviously we were all all three of us were quite lucky to still be working jim who's not here he's he he was working from home but we were still working and busy we had things to occupy ourselves but we weren't we just forgot to talk kind of thing we weren't talking to each other like we would normally at training at the pub whatever that may be and I think we found obviously Doig has come back up from from Northampton for Christmas we found um, that just having that conversation that we might we might have an hour conversation that's recorded on the podcast but that extra hour conversation instead of just a text of how you're doing yeah I'm good thanks mm-hmm. hope you came out that's made a big difference to us I think and that's not being we've not necessarily talked about our problems we've just talked about general crack what's been going on how work's been going and instead of talking mm-hmm. to the people that we see every day just having that extra what you'd be talking about at the pub and and I think that's what some people will be missing um, especially people our age will be missing that kind of thing. And I think that's something that we've benefited from quite well. Um, and we had a couple of lads on last week and they said they really, really enjoyed it. And it was something slightly different. And it's good that we get to keep doing this for however long we're in this lockdown. But it just seemed, it's something that look forward to. It's a mini project on the side. And actually it's, uh, for me, it's benefited me. We come in and do these interviews, Doig's the lead. I'm quite happy to sit back and listen and do whatever that, yeah. that may be. Um, yeah. But it makes us feel you kind of. I, I finish up and think, oh, I'm glad I did that. That was that's made me think differently about this, this, and this. Whether that's a professional athlete, well, it's yourself coming on, whether it's just talking to mates mm-hmm. for an hour, like what we did for the Christmas podcast. I mean, we ended up cutting about an hour worth of fo- stuff out because it wasn't quite right, but it was good crack and it was just that difference that we're not getting to achieve at the minute. So I think you're right on what you're saying that. It's 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 just talking in general, isn't it? And then it's talking about your problems. The amount of times it's just been me and Doig waiting for Jim. We'll have a crack about something that we didn't know. And you're like, oh, mm. glad glad we spoke about that. And it might have only been five minutes, but it just releases that 
bit of attention or whatever you feel, I think. No, I agree. Like the reason I do my podcast is it's sort of my therapy. <laughs> like I get to talk, I get to talk openly. People can listen, people can listen in. I get to learn. So like when I get guests on, I learn from every single one. Every single one I take something away from. It's not just like I get something from it too. Like I get to open up. Like and the players, people are like, How do you get the footballers to come on to be how to be so vulnerable and open up? Like one talked about experiencing death anxiety like he had death anxiety how do you get him to talk that one i'll just talk openly and honestly and when you do that and you become vulnerable yourself other people will do it and you'll you realize it's a safe place and actually no one cares as much as you think they do <laughs> right you're not that but i keep on saying to people like you're not that big a deal like, i'm not a big deal i'm not a big deal you're not a big deal like even if you're a professional footballer you're not really that big a deal stop thinking you are Drop, drop your ego. Like, you have your ego for good and bad. When you cross the white line, you need your ego to play well because you've got to think you're good and you've got to believe this. But when you're off the pitch, drop the ego. Like, Be willing to be who you are. Be willing to be 100% you rather than the perception that you think someone should be. Like, I did a corporate talk not that long ago and they wanted me to do... Um, so I was like, right, you need to do it this way. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. They were like, yeah, but we want you to do this. I said, I'm not doing it. I'd just rather not do it because that's, that's not, I, I'll be someone that I'm not. And they went, oh, we want you to do this. I'm like, no, if you, I'll do it the way that I'm going to do it and I'm going to be me. If you don't like that, with respect, go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, because like, I won't be, so what I did, I did this corporate talk and I thought, do you know what? They're pissing me off so much. So I talked to this company called, I don't mind doubting them, SEMA, right? So it's a big corporate. They they teach. So I wore a shirt and a tie. <laughs> and I went, I'm going to hammer the corporate world. I'm just going to hammer the corporate world for the bullshit that, that is like putting on the masks. So I wore different masks, wore a shirt and tie, and then I stripped the shirt and tie off to a Superman shirt. And I said, listen, the corporate world is full of shit. You're all full of shit. Like you're all full of you're all full of crap. I I know because I used to be there. Like you you want people to think this way of you, and you're trying to be the big I am, but you're all like basically struggling, and you're all fucked. And I got <laughs> I got a hundred percent satisfaction rating. <laughs> right, and they asked me to do it in front of. They asked me to do it again in front of a, like this time instead of like a group. It was like the whole of their members, and I said I ain't doing it. Like, I ain't, no, I ain't, I refuse to do it. And But the thing is, right, they're not used to, they were used to the presentations of, this is the perception we want it to be. Presentation, boring as, boring as hell. Not someone just telling them and being real. Saying, listen, I struggled. Like, I've struggled with this. Like, and then as you start opening up, they've started, like, who, who else is struggling? And you say, yeah, 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 yeah. Who, who else feels like it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and you're like, what? But the corporate world is doing stuff again, like the football world, to tick a box. It's a box ticking exercise. It's, we've done something. I'm like, you didn't know, did you? You're not really doing anything. You go, oh, we're, we're, look, again, it's about perception. Look, we're helping people with their mental health. I'm like, well, you're not, though, are you, really? Yeah. To tick your box, you're not off. actually make ticking box exercises really pisses me off. Like, it, it, like that's why I'm like, right, I'm going to take it on myself 
to like help professional footballers and I help as many players as I can because if the clubs aren't do- doing anything, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll, I'll do it myself. So people were like, why don't you want to work for a football club? I'm like, well, I can only help one football club then. I can't help all the players. Like anyone's free to do it. Every every player, everyone wants to work for a football club. They're like, oh, I want to work for a football club. I want to work for a football club. Who are you to start coming in and just do your own thing? I'm like, well, why can't I? <laughs> yeah. Why do I have to have a job? Why do I have to have a normal job? Why can't I just start my own one? Like think outside the Rob, box. Rob, your candidness, your openness, your honesty is infectious. I don't know if that's the right word. What's what's coming up with your podcast, with yourself, your own projects, bits and pieces? Where can people get hold of you, keep up to date with what you're up to? Um, the footballer's mindset has been an incredible listen. And as this has been a candid hour, as you say, with your guests, it's more so. And it is incredibly honest. I recommend anyone going to listen to it. But what's coming up? What can we expect from the podcast in the near future? So started series three. First one got released the other day. I put it off for a little bit, to be honest, because I was going through some emotional stuff at home with my mum and etc. And I was like, it wasn't a priority. But now I'm like, right, it's again, it's my therapy. <laughs> I enjoy doing it. I learn a lot. I get a lot of contacts out of it as well. So it like, helps me, but helps others too. So series three, gone a different, more of a different route. So I've getting like different mentors on. I've got a couple of co-hosts that are footballers who I work with. So it's not just me if I'm on my own. So I'll have guests on. Um, I've just written a book. So I've finished a book. It's getting edited at the moment. So I've written a book. Um, what else have I got on? Doing a football documentary, which is pretty cool. Been able to be in a football documentary. Um, got my courses coming up. But if you want to find me, what they recommend you do really is, is like this. If you like this kind of stuff, then I've got a, a free audio book, which is www footballmistakesfreeaudiobook.com go and listen to that and it, it, it's again advice from different it's me but advice from different footballers and it will really help you out and plus that you'll get on my email list and get my daily emails which are really good as well thank you so much for your time um, on behalf of many people thank you for the work that you do you continue to do surrounding mental health supporting those professionals and anyone else who reaches out to you as I said, I can't recommend the podcast enough. I certainly, for one, will be going to reach out and Cheers, take a look at the audio book, take a listen and things. I've had my eyes opened in the last hour just listening to you speak. Uh, and I will certainly be asking myself, is it true? A hell of a lot more, I think, um, moving forward. And <laughs> maybe find myself in better places myself, as I'm sure many people will do. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Pleasure, mate. Cheers, boys. I really appreciate it. I always like coming on and doing stuff like this. Awesome. So we'll see Cheers, on. Away from it. Thank you. Fascinating hour. Um, insightful, thought-provoking. I think it is really important that the conversation doesn't stop and an opportunity that we can take such as that um, to continue that conversation. We will continue to try and use our platform as best as possible to do so. I hope listeners found that as fascinating, entertaining, rewarding as we did. I thought he was an incredible guest. I wish him all the best for the future. I hope everyone he works with continues to see some success. I'm really appreciative of his time. Yeah, like Doig says, I was very appreciative. I was took, found myself just listening to a lot of the things he was talking about. Um, had so many questions, but it was more of just wanting to listen to what he kind of what he was saying and what and what he had the had the offer at the time. Um, and the fact that he gave us so so long was. Was great. Um, I hope I hope he enjoyed it as well. But no, 
like Doig said at the start, it was something that we can all take away and definitely a message that we'll we'll keep pushing on the, on this podcast. I wasn't involved in that, but by the sounds of it, I think I'm going to go back and actually listen to it for the first time compared to previous guests who I've said I'll listen to, but to be honest, I'm a busy man. But I'll actually go back and sit through that because it does sound fascinating what Rob had to say. You're a great lad, Jimmy. Cheers for the debrief next week. Um, can do a little- one of the things that he mentioned through the interview was obviously his work with Boreham Wood. He was at the FA Cup. It was one of the early kickoffs. And considering our predictions at the end of last week's episode, it seems a nice little full circle to uh, to wrap back round. So he was at the Boreham Wood game. Unfortunately, they did lose to Millwall, um, although they gave a very good account of themselves. One of the other big FA Cup shocks, AJD called correctly. Not a surprise there. And I must admit that I called Chorley to win before the COVID ripped through the Derby count. So maybe add another one on the tally. I don't know, Tinners, that's up to you. But Tinners, your prediction, what did you go with last week? You were right, weren't you? Well, I went with Blackpool to beat West Brom. I said Gary Medine would score the first. Jimmy's not giving us it because it was penalty. No, I'll give you Gary Medine. I'm just taking the sky bet stance of it's not after extra time and penalties. It's got to be, it was a draw. It was a 1-1 draw. Right. So I'm taking half a point for Gary Medine. Um, Jim? Yeah, I went with Boreham Wood, and it's a prime example. Never back the early kickoff. Um, some fantastic football on all weekend, and I've ruined my weekend before the three o'clocks have started. Um, however, magic at the FA Cup's back. The mags are out in the first round, as per. Some things don't change. Um, good to see Bruce put out a relatively strong 11 for once, and we still got beat by the kids. Um, Emil Smith-Rose should have been sent off, and it was rescinded, and he goes on to score 20 minutes later. Andy Carroll misses a couple of sitters and Nelly decapitates the keeper going for the rebound. <laughs> what a dental job he could have done on Leno in the middle of London right there. Could have done them all a favour. Well, there is no northeast representation in the uh, in the fourth round, in the draw. Um, obviously, Newcastle are out, as you say, Jimmy. Borough went out to Brentford, who have done a double over a, uh, a northeast in the cup. And Sunderland... Um, the less said about them, the better, because they were nowhere to be seen. Um, quick overview of some of the other results. Leicester were quite convincing. We were just discussing beforehand, before we spoke to Rob, about how some teams are putting out very, very strong sides, uh, looking to win things in Leicester by playing in Diddy, Barnes, Tielmans or Bryson Perez, etc. They're playing quite full-strength teams. Um any other results catch your eye in there? I saw Burnley got taken to penalties by MK Dons. Obviously, there was a shootout last night as well um, in the Brighton game. You noticed the Burnley result because I put them in my hacker and got let down by them. Threefold, Blackburn, Burnley, West Brom. All three let me down. So, I think we're going to come back on me. to the listeners to help me out with that one in the next week's pod. But we'll, uh, I'm sure Andy will cover that in a little bit. Um, the one thing I took away from this weekend was the Tottenham Marine game. The magic of the cup, the biggest, was it the biggest gap in the FA Cup history between two teams in Marine and Tottenham? 160 odd places, I think, yeah. A bloke stood in his garden watching the game with a cardboard cutout of Jurgen Klopp as they passed that round the stands. Um, people with, I can't even say that word. The South African African noise machines going on (laughs) around the place. (laughs) Um, the couple who had their sound system in the garden and started playing out It's Coming Home in the second half yeah. at 5-0 down 
However, the one thing I took away from it is classic FA Cup fashion, where a journalist sat in stands proceeded to tweet about how one of the locals in their broad Scouse accent had shouted, come on, Marine, these are shite. And I feel there was like a couple of good bits like about it yesterday. Um, it brought me thinking about the magic of the cup and when you see people with those cardboard cutouts of their tinfoil FA Cups stood near away ends. Obviously, we couldn't have that recently. So the best we had was one at Marine and um, Jurgen Klopp cut out, as I said. However, I can't help but feel, and I want your opinion on this, does it get to the point of the magic of the cup where you also think, I'd love to see Tottenham give these a dicking here. For me, five well, wasn't enough. I actually got a bit disappointed yeah. when he took Deli Ali off and okay, yeah, he brought Gareth Bale on, but Gareth Bale isn't the player he was. Yeah, but he should still be able to score and do something against someone who's 160. He scored he's won four Champions Leagues and they is playing against without to belittle them against one's a PE teacher. One's a binman. One was working in Sainsbury's on Friday night, so missed the Villa game. One was probably getting a lift to and from the ground. You know, like people who play part-time football in the eighth tier of football, like Gareth Bale should be able to carry a team to score. And I think the Marine guys, they were quite almost appreciative of the team that Spurs did bring with them. They showed them the respect. They put a proper team out. Obviously, there's a couple of youngsters in there and there's the 16-year-old scores. But having Ali there, having Bale there, Joe Hart in goal, even though he's second, third choice there at the moment, it's still a massive name to be playing there. Um, how, the crowds um, came how out we... to watch them, didn't they, as they came to arrive? People did buy into it. They had an attendance of 37,000 or something via virtual tickets. It's the biggest attendance there's been probably for months in football. Probably people um, bought virtual tickets for that. It was on BBC. <laughs> Pay your TV licence and you get it for free. What they're doing? Mugs game, Mugs game, um, but yeah, I think those sort of things. There was a video or another tweet. I know you've mentioned your one there, Jimmy, but someone had taken a photo of Gareth Bale out his window uh, that Gareth Bale had replied to. So Spurs, I think, did quite a good job of honouring it. Um, I don't think it was for a lack of trying. To be fair, that they didn't score more. They had a couple of chances. It could have been seven or eight. But yeah, I think we probably maybe set our expectations a little bit too high to expect that to be a 10-0 drubbing every single time. I think it was particularly difficult for Gareth Bale at the end when he's got 11 players following him around the pitch wanting a shirt. One of which was probably one of his teammates, the top, the young 16-year-old who, if I was playing with Gareth Bale, I'd be stood at the end going, Gareth, can I have your shirt? Yeah. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see what happens in obviously the coming rounds. I know the draw's just going on. I don't know if anything exciting has happened there, any big mismatches, but we'll move on pretty quickly from that. Uh, we'll make our prediction. Obviously, as I say, me and Tinner's got points and half points respectively last week, but Jimmy, a chance to redeem yourself. Over in Sri Lanka, your favourite, Jimmy. Cricket is coming home. It's coming back. Um, obviously, we spoke to Keaton last week and he was talking about some of the challenges that the batters might face out yeah, there. Great One of which is, um, is the heat and how clammy it gets. So, our question, our prediction for this week is which of the England batters or the starting 11, who is going to score the most runs for England in their first innings? Tinners. Zach Crawley. Where is he going to bat? I think he'll open. Yeah. 
I think he'll open and just off going back to uh, he, he, a couple of seasons ago, he had an interview, I think it was with Great Cricketer, and he, he, he spent a bit of time um, in India, I think, doing some press, pressing against spin. So I think that might come into play as well. But yeah, Zach Crawley for me. Jimmy? I'm going to go with Don Bess. <clears throat> Batters to fail, spinners to get them out of a hole twice in the game with the ball and the bat. Don Bess, top scorer, with. Right. 29 runs. Yeah, I think it could be lower down the order as well. I'm I'm going to go with the guy who got the most uh, or got man of the series out there last time. I'm going to go with Ben Folks. I think he gets the nod to play um, after last time. And I think he scores a lot of runs in the middle of the innings there. So I don't know if it'll be big runs. I don't know if there'll be a ton. Um, but I think he's probably on for 60 or 70 and uh, I think he should be making a real case to be playing in the Ashes uh, down under in the winter and this is the start of the journey for him. I'm on the Ben Folks train so that is my prediction for this week. Anything else to add before we go, gentlemen? No, never is. Newcastle uh, about is. to be turned over by Sheffield United for their first league win of the season tomorrow. Tune in for that one. That's a good prediction. Yeah, that'll be a laugh. 3-1 Sheffield United. Yeah, I know we're not doing that one. Jimmy, you, you, don't, you don't get more points to add to the tally just by calling things out, OK? It's only on the England score. But nice try. Got me, yeah. uh, and obviously, we will follow that closely. Gentlemen, an absolute pleasure as always. Uh, we will speak to you soon. See you, See you soon. later, lads. I'm the cat with the bass and drum Going around like bum, bum, bum. 